Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 33 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for lending me your ears today. I hope y'all are hungry for some etymology, because today's theme is food-related phrases. Don't forget to stay tuned for the blooper section, let me rephrase, after the outro. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but the last couple of episodes haven't featured any ads. I'm reevaluating how I want to run this podcast to make it more enjoyable for y'all. And the first part of that is getting rid of ads that aren't really helping anyone out, but the companies getting promoted. I'll update y'all with any further changes I make, but I think this is a good first step in making this show more enjoyable. With all of that out of the way, allow me to serve up today's phrases, origins, history, and more. The first phrase on our plates today is bread and butter. Now, this one actually has several meanings, so let me go over those before we continue. The meaning that is likely the most common is a vital need, such as a person's basic needs like food, water, and shelter. It can be used as a vital component of a business or plan, though. It's not only for describing the needs of a human. Another definition is a steady income source, such as a job or even a hobby that makes you enough money to provide financial stability. It's also used superstitiously, as it's believed by some to fix things if an obstacle splits up you and someone you're walking with. Okay, I feel like what I just said was potentially confusing, so let me elaborate. Say you and a pal are walking side by side and another person walks towards you, so you split up and each go around opposite sides of the person. If this happens, the saying of bread and butter after the unintentional separation is believed to ward off bad luck and potential quarrels amongst the people who say it, because they will stay as close as bread and butter. Now, let's get into the origin of this saying. People have been eating buttered bread for a long time, so it's long been well known as a simple, staple thing to eat. I couldn't find anything definitive as to when it went from a snack to a saying, but it was a popular idiom by the 18th century. The superstitious version of this one is a little more documented, but not by much. It stems from the same idea, that bread and butter go together like, well, bread and butter. It seems that the first known print reference to this superstition isn't found until 1939 in the Federal Writers Project Guide to Kansas. The Federal Writers Project was a program by the United States Work Progress Administration intended to provide employment for people such as writers, historians, teachers, librarians, etc. What this Guide to Kansas listed in 1939 was a description of the act of saying bread and butter when separated by an obstacle as, quote, an ubiquitous incantation among schoolchildren of the area, end quote. Seeing as how it was a well-known practice at that point, the belief has to be older than that, though I couldn't confirm when it first came about. This is one I've personally used. There's a summer camp I started going to at the age of six, and I attended every summer all the way through college when I was working there. At that camp, there's a bridge with a tree at one end, which is called the friendship tree. And if you don't go on the same side as everyone else, it's tradition to say bread and butter. As this camp is about to celebrate its 100th summer in a row, 
I'd be comfortable saying that the saying of bread and butter is tried and true, and will remain so. Now let's explore why people bring home the bacon. This idiom means earning money to live, and it's got kind of a fun origin. It's thought to have come from an old-timey times tradition, the flitch of bacon custom. A flitch is another way to say a side of bacon, so it's a pretty good portion of meat. The custom itself is most commonly thought to have begun around the turn of the 12th century in Essex, specifically Great Dunmo. However, some people think it can be traced even further back, as it may have been a Norse tradition. Either way, it's definitely an old custom, and here's what they did. If after a year and a day of marriage, a couple could swear to not having any regrets about being married, they were awarded a flitch of bacon by the church. While there's no way to know for sure where all this tradition took place, it likely spread through at least the mainland of Europe. It actually still takes place today in some areas, and any nominated couples have to face a council who tries to show the couple is not deserving of the bacon award. While it may be more ceremonial now, when it first was taking place, the act of literally bringing home the bacon put the winning couple in good standing in the community because it proved they were good spouses to each other. This practice was so popular that Geoffrey Chaucer referenced it in 1395 in his work The Wife of Bath's Tale and Prologue. He wrote, quote, But never for us the flitch of bacon, though, that some may win in Essex at Dunmo. End quote. There's a handful of other believed origins, but they all come hundreds of years after Chaucer wrote about happy couples getting bacon, so they don't hold much water as being the actual beginning of this delicious saying. So now let's look into why cucumbers are so cool. To be as cool as a cucumber means that you're calm, but what does a fruit have to do with a lack of anxiety? And no, I didn't misspeak, a cucumber is actually a fruit not a vegetable. This simile actually has a simple scientific explanation. If you've ever touched a cucumber, you may have noticed it seemed to feel cool to the touch. That's because it usually is cool to the touch. Cucumbers have such a high water content that even on a hot day, they can remain up to 20 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than the surrounding air. This was proven in a study from 1970 done by scientists James Lyons and John Rayson. But this isn't the true beginning of the saying. To find that, we have to go back to what cucumbers used to be called in old-timey times, cowcumbers. Not only was the name less desirable sounding, the food was less desirable to eat. Folks actually thought they were deadly, as evidenced by the famous diary of Samuel Pepys an administrator of the Navy of England, and a member of Parliament. He wrote in his diary for a decade, and on August 22, 1663, he wrote this quote, This day Sir W. Batten tells me that Mr. Newburn, of whom the nickname came among us for Tom Newburn, is dead of eating cowcumbers, of which the other day I heard another, I think Sir Nicholas Crisp's son. End quote. Eventually, people realized cucumbers were delicious, and the first known usage in writing as the simile we use today is found in 1732 in a work by John Gay, an English poet and dramatist. It was called Poems, New Songs on New Similes, and it had the following in it. Quote, I, cool as a cucumber, could see the rest of womankind. End quote. 
So whether you're dead and cold from eating a not-actually-poisonous cowcumber, or you're just chilling with a cold cucumber, you're using a simile that's been around for a good long while. Now for today's next topic, where the tradition of saving the top tier of your wedding cake came from. Just in case you're unaware, there's a long-standing tradition for couples to save the top layer of their wedding cake for a year, then share it with each other. No one seems to know exactly when this started, but in theory, as long as people have had access to ice, they could have participated in this tradition. Maybe even longer, as cakes used to have ingredients, like liqueur for example, that made them last longer than modern-day cakes. While this is an old tradition, it didn't actually get its start as a way to celebrate the first year of marriage. It began as a cheap way to celebrate the first baby's christening. Back in old-timey times, most people expected to have a kid in their first year of marriage. But as newlyweds, they often weren't exactly rolling in the dough. So, to be able to celebrate the baby without breaking the bank, they'd preserve the top layer of the wedding cake to use as a christening cake. If a baby didn't come along before the first anniversary, well, then they'd eat the cake at that time. Probably while being berated by their parents about how they haven't made them grandparents yet. Okay, that's probably not true, but it's the visual I get when imagining old-timey couples making it a whole year without birthing them a baby. As the trend of trying to have a baby ASAP after the I do's has faded into the past, the saving of the top tier of the wedding cake has become much more symbolic rather than practical. Not only can sharing the wedding cake again with each other after a year marriage bring back all the good memories of the wedding, but there's a belief that it will bring prosperity and good luck to the couple. Another thing that's changed as this has become more about the symbolism is that some people are moving towards getting a new, small cake from the same person who made the wedding cake once their one-year anniversary rolls around. This way, they can share the same cake experience without having to keep up with the top tier for a year. So, whether you freeze or rebuy, if you participate in this tradition, you'll be following in the footsteps of many happy couples. Now, it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is couch potato, which is used to describe a lazy person, especially if they spend a lot of time lounging on the couch watching TV. But how did this humble tuber get associated with laziness? Well, this one has a pretty specific origin story. A man named Tom Lachino claims to be the first person to ever say it, thus also claiming to have coined the phrase. And he remembers the exact day he did it, July 15, 1976. Here's what he said about the invention of the phrase, which happened during a phone call to a friend of his. Quote, his girlfriend answered, and it was just an off-the-top sort of thing when I said, Hey, is the couch potato there? She looked over, and there he was on the couch, and she started cracking up. End quote. Now, it just so happens that calling a television a boob tube became popular in the 1970s, and Lucino was a member of the Boob Tubers, an organization created in 1973 in response to growing health crazes in California at the time. In opposition to the health craze, the boob tubers' main goal was to sit in front of a TV and eat junk food, something couch potatoes are now well known for. Since a potato is a tuber, some people speculate that Lucino, either on purpose or by happenstance, 
combined the tuber in the group's name with the edible tuber to come up with couch potato. He's always maintained that it was just an off-the-cuff thing, so it may have just been coincidence, although it could have been a connection he made subconsciously. Either way, it really gained popularity thanks to a friend of Lucino's named Robert Armstrong, a cartoonist and fellow boob tuber member. In 1979, they made a float for a parade that was a spoof of the Tournament of Roses parade. Now that I think of it, these guys kind of sound like trolls. At the least, they liked poking fun at mainstream movements, so maybe they're more like hipsters. Anyway, the float they made just had some couches and televisions on it, and they simply watched the TVs for the duration of the parade. This led to the first use of the metaphor in print, when an article in the LA Times wrote about them, saying, quote, The couch potatoes who will be lying on couches watching television as they are towed toward the parade route. End quote. Armstrong went on to trademark the saying, but it became so popular that he lost the ability to claim it exclusively as he'd hoped to. It doesn't seem to be getting less popular with time either, so I think this metaphor is going to be lounging around in the vernacular for quite some time. With that, it's time to go to the book for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got the book here, and it's open to a page of Stoddard King's works. And this is from his work, Philosophy for Parents. And it says, Of all the pestilence dire, including famine, flood, and fire, by Satan and his imps rehearsed, the neighbor's children are the worst. Something tells me that Stoddard didn't really care for his neighbor's kids. <laughs> all right, Stoddard, thank you for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, that's a wrap on episode 33. Thanks for joining me again to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. You can follow me on Twitter at Turn of Phrases, and I'm on Facebook both as a page and a group, so if you want to find out more about that, check out the website. You can also send me topic suggestions by emailing me at brisky at turnofphrases.com or go to the website for more information. There's also a contact form there that you can use. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing to the show or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, stay hungry for etymology. Let me rephrase. Oh, boy. <laughs> ubiquitous. That's ubiquitous. You know this word, Brisky. And in... <laughs> okay. And ubi... You... <laughs> Why is it that I can say a word until I start trying to say it on here? Referenced it. 
This simile actually has a simple scientific explanation. That was Kelly shaking her head. Which is evidenced by the famous diary of Samuel... Oh, here we go again. Peppies? Peppies. Let's go with Peppies. An English poet and dra dra an English poet and dramatist. Dramatist? Well, seriously, I really I I can speak better than this, I promise. Now for today's next But there's a belief that it will bring prosperity. Oh no. A man named Tom Litz... Seriously, all with these names. I can't do it today, apparently. 